This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stachowiak. We profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. And if you found this show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5by5.tv slash Founders Talk. If you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk and me, Adam Stack. Today's guest is Bill Babel, VP of Strategy and Corporate Development at Rackspace. Enjoy the show. I'm joined today by Bill Babel, VP of Strategy and Corporate Development at Rackspace. Bill is the founder of a company called Webmail.us that was later acquired by Rackspace. And uh, this conversation is about Bill's journey. So, Bill, thanks for coming to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Bill, you've got, uh, what, over over 11 years of history to, to cover here in this podcast. Where should we start? Well, I, I assume we should start at the beginning, back in 1999. 99. Okay, what happened in 99. So 1999, uh, I think most people know that it's during the height of the dot-com bubble or boom, uh, as we thought it was at the time. Uh, that, that was when we first had our idea for our company, which was essentially if you carve out the Facebook event section of Facebook and just make a standalone company out of that, that's what we were doing. And you, you went to Virginia Tech in 95. You were, you were kind of going there. You met up with some friends there that you later started this company with. You went there for computer engineering and, and all that good stuff. What was the time like from 95 to like 99 whenever all this history began? Yeah, so I met uh, Pat Matthews and Kevin Minnick in 95, our freshman year. Pat and Kevin were actually randomly paired roommates. And then I had friends from high school on their hall. So we all started hanging out that year and became good friends and um, – Pat and I had throughout the years been talking about doing some sort of startup and uh, a lot of, because we were in college and partied a lot, a lot of what we were thinking was let's start a brewery or let's start a bar. Um, but as we kind of got uh, further through college and smarter, we we saw all this dot-com craziness going on and we thought it would be a good idea to, to drop out and go pro early. So um, that's what we ended up doing. We, we ended up launching a, a consumerinternet.com and dropped out of college, actually with one semester to go. And I think in, in another call we talked about something called FieldParty.com. What is this? So FieldParty.com was the name of the company that was the events uh, portal that we created. Uh, we started coding that in 99, and we actually launched that March 10th of 2000, which um, I don't know if you know your history, but March 10th was the beginning of the NASDAQ crash. So we, our launch date coincided with that, and um, it was pretty, pretty wild throughout the rest of that year. We, we basically were trying to get people to recognize the brand as the place you go to find local events and to also, if, you're, if you own a venue like a bar or if you're, if you're uh, a president of a fraternity, this is where you go to advertise your events and to invite people and get people essentially talking about the events, posting photos, posting comments. Um, that, and that was our business model. We were, or our business model on top of that was advertising. So we were, our goal was to uh, get users, get eyeballs, and sell ads. But uh, as soon as that dot-com crash hit, which was right as we were launching, uh, it kind of took our, <clears throat> took our plans and changed things a, a, a bunch or, or for, forced us over that course of that year to change a bunch because uh, people were paying – 30 bucks per thousand impressions for ads at the time. And that just evaporated quickly. There basically, there, there was no advertising model uh, for several years until Google AdWords came along. And so what, what happened uh, after, after that NASDAQ crash happened in, what was March of uh, 2000? 
Right. May, March? Yeah, March of 2000. March 2000. So what, uh, how did you react to that with, with this particular project? So we, uh, it took us a little while to realize that this crash was a crash. You know, we thought it was a, a fluke at the time. And we, throughout the summer of 2000, we, we kept at it. We kept, uh, we had, we had marketing people on the street, uh, getting people to recognize the brand, like giving out t-shirts and stickers and all sorts of things and going, going to, uh, bars and getting people to input their events and all that. But towards the end of the year, we realized that this, this, uh, thing that started in March was actually a crash and things weren't get weren't getting any better. Um, we, we burnt through the 120,000 that we had raised from friends and family and also racked up about a hundred thousand in credit card debt, but by, uh, by early 2001. And, uh, so we, we are for, we basically made a pivot and we, uh, realized that almost all our costs went to, uh, marketing. So creating the brand and getting users. So we decided to take the software we wrote and change the model to hosting, event-related websites for newspapers who already had content and who already had uh, users or customers. So we, we basically created a SaaS model. It was you know, m- multiple websites hosted on the same platform. Um, people didn't call it SaaS at the time. They called it ASP, Application Service Provider. Yep, That was the buzzword of the day. I remember that one. <laughs> so we were essentially a content management system for these event sections of newspapers. And... Uh, I was looking back at the numbers earlier. We we had about twenty customers paying us fifty to a hundred sorry fifty to a hundred dollars, not not thousands of dollars uh, <laughs> per, per month uh, by the end of two thousand one. So very low revenue. You know, we kept burning through the, the cash that we had. Um, we actually changed our name that year to Exedent E X E D E N T. We just needed a name that wasn't FieldParty.com in order to sell to these newspapers. Um, but it was hard. We, we realized that newspaper owners just didn't understand the internet. So we spent half our time trying to teach them what the internet was and why it mattered to them. And then most of them, they, re- they, they thought that internet was a threat to their business and they should stay away from it. Um, they didn't want to put their content online because that meant that, that was one more person who, or each user that went to the website was one more person that wouldn't buy a newspaper. That was their view at the time. Um, so that, that was a tough business as well. So a little bit of revenue, but still very hard. And so, how the what was the ultimate outcome of this company? So with with that, so we kept we kept at that one for um, throughout two thousand one, and we it, we realized it was getting pretty hard. So we ended up actually doing a a second pivot where the way I, the best way I would describe it is we're doing anything for a check. <laughs> we started doing. Uh, search engine optimization for people that we started, uh, we built an e-commerce site for someone and we were going to figure out how to productize that into a multi-tenant environment, just like the events site. Uh, we started hosting e- email for people because if we're hosting websites, the natural add-on is email. Um, and throughout that time, we, we actually laid off every, all the marketing people, uh, and, and Pat was doing all the sales for us. We, uh, and most of our marketing ended up being, SEO. I got really good at, at, at getting to the front page on Yahoo, which Yahoo is what mattered at the time. Um, our co-founder, Kevin, actually had to leave and go get a, a real job because he ran out of money and uh, was having a kid and you know, could, couldn't afford to work for no pay uh, anymore. So we, you know, during that time when we had the second pivot, we, we were working on the, these, uh, these uh, various 
products in addition to the event uh, content management system. We, um, I guess we worked on multiple products until 2002. And uh, <clears throat> at the same time, Pat and I went, we finished school, got our degrees at Virginia Tech. Uh, we both worked some crazy side jobs. Um, and something interesting happened in 2002. We uh, started getting a ton of leads for email. And uh, it was partially because we had gotten to the number one listing in Yahoo for the term email hosting and the term webmail. Um, but also it was because that was the year where, where spammers and, and viruses really just started pounding the internet hard. So all these people that were hosting e- email servers themselves uh, started having uh, problems. Their, their servers would go down. They, they couldn't store all the data anymore because there was so much spam. They, uh, they, they just realized that what used to be easy was now hard and they were started searching for people to solve that problem. And luckily we had a product that did that. And so you kind of were in the, the right place at the right time, I guess in a, in a moment in our history on the internet where um, if anybody else had been there, you would have had some decent competition, but you were able to be there prepared and ready to accept that traffic. What, uh, how did that blow up the company? What changed about the company? What was going on then? So once we realized what was happening, uh, we realized we actually, I would say nine out of ten leads we were getting was email. We, we decided that it would make sense if we just focused solely on email. So we we dropped all those other products in 2002, uh, focused on making that email product awesome. It was it was good at the time, um, but we were using a lot of off the shelf stuff and just kind of hacking things together. Um, so we spent we started spending all of our development efforts in 2002 on making it awesome. And um, that year we actually landed our first major customer and uh, we actually got down during, during this period while we were, we were on the break of, of running out of money. We, we actually got down to $1,200 in the bank account when we landed this major customer and we somehow convinced them that they should prepay us $50,000 to set their, set their uh, email system up for them. So we, we got that check, and that basically saved our business. Nice little injection of capital there. Yeah, that was very timely. So then that year we raised a little bit more from the angels that had invested originally. Uh, we also got a bank loan from one of our crazy college buddies that, that <laughs> decided it would be a good idea to loan us money. And uh, we ended up hiring Kevin back so he could uh, run development for the business. And... Yeah, I mean that that was the start of it all. We really had hardly any revenue before that, and we ended that year with uh, a quarter million in revenue. Now you mentioned that you're just pulling things off the shelf in terms of technology and stuff like that. What what kind of technology is involved back in this day to to do this kind of operation? So back then, we actually used we we, we had a single Windows server running iMail, and then we had this. Uh, anti-spam software called Declude, which was something that was very similar to Spam Assassin where you could heavily tune it. And I got really good at, at tuning it. And that was that was what made our spam filtering and virus filtering awesome. And that, that's part of why people bought. Um, so the, the technology, anybody could have bought it at the time. Um, so we, we ran that and we ran a separate server that was a, a Linux-based webmail server with some other off-the-shelf software from a company in Boston called e- Emu Mail. And uh, 
you know, we, we made some changes, some tweaks to that software to let our customers change the color schemes and fonts and headers. So it was, you know, one, one piece of software that let, let us host thousands of, of websites or at the time hundreds, I guess. Uh, but it, in a, in a way where we're, we're just managing one system, but there's thousands or there's hundreds of customers on this one system. So that was nice. It allowed us to scale because, uh, we didn't have to manage a separate piece of software for each customer. Um, but then once we really started focusing on just email, we, uh, started using more robust, uh, software, switched everything over to Linux, started running PostFix and, uh, spam assassin, uh, courier IMAP. And, uh, yeah, we, we started using all the kind of the, the best of breed email software and, and then heavily tweaked it. We got really good at, at, uh, modifying the open source code and then you know, writing our own stuff on top. And, and the, part of our core code base that we wrote was uh, a replacement to the webmail software. We wrote our own webmail uh, from scratch, and then we wrote our own control panel, which actually that was really important to these customers because when, when you go from managing your own email server to outsourcing it, you let go of a lot of control. So one of the things we realized quickly is we need to give as much of that control back to the companies as possible in terms of letting them create users and change settings and do things in bulk across all their employees. Uh, so that was really important and one of the differentiators that we had. So at what point did uh, did Rackspace come into the picture with uh, this acquisition and how did that relationship get get, get started? So from... So from the time we, we pivoted to just focusing on email uh, in 2002 to, to uh, 2000, actually to 2005, we, we were growing a ton. And 2005, we uh, went out and raised a half million dollars from some local angels, but also convinced one of the Rackspace co-founders to invest in us. So, uh, and, and that was the year also we had switched our hosting environment to uh, run at Rackspace. So Rackspace, they were a company a few years prior. I, I had actually gone out looking for hosting companies, and I talked to Rackspace, but I ended up choosing a different company for various reasons. But I just remember that they were the one company when I called that answered the phone. So you know, in 2005, as we were looking again, uh, I called them back, and we ended up doing a deal with them. And the thing that was interesting about them is they were interested in uh, hosting email themselves, and they were looking for, for a partner, and we convinced them that the partner should be us. So we entered a partnership where uh, they resold email to their customer base, and we, we were a hosting customer of theirs, but that, that kind of gave them a vested interest in helping us make sure our system could scale. We got a little bit of extra attention and leveraged a ton of their, their internal experts on things like scaling MySQL and scaling and replicating storage and having multi-data center redundancy and all that stuff. Like Those are things we had never done before. And Rackspace had a ton of people who knows know how to do that stuff well, so we took advantage of that. So that was the beginning of the partnership, and um, yeah, we spent the next couple of years just growing. We 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 actually from '02 to '07, we doubled revenue every year. Uh, and at the time of the acquisition, we had an eight million run rate, um, fifteen thousand customers, fifty employees, and. Um, we really, at the time, had become the, the most dominant email player that was just focused on email. There, there were some, a couple other companies that had email as a side product and had more mailboxes, but we were killing it because we were focused on just email, and we realized that, that customer service really mattered because everybody knows if, if email is down for two minutes, like 
you notice. Oh, yeah. Business stops if email drops, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, so we realized that and created a reputation of of being just amazing at customer service. That was another area we leveraged Rackspace. They were the only tech company that we knew of that had grown grown a customer service organization to a really large scale, like hundreds of employees. And um, we just really picked their brains on how they did that. And also how they scaled the uh, kind of fun entrepreneurial culture that they had. Yeah, I was going to ask you what kind of advice you're getting in this in this stage because I can imagine um, that you've got you know some history here in terms of running a business and all that different stuff. But you know, where do you get your advice on this partnership and where this is going to go? Like, did you have any advisors? Did you have any sort of mentors that you were seeking advice from? You know, how did you know that these things were were good fits? Was it just gut feelings, or was it something that? Uh, uh, you and the rest of the team, Pat and uh, Kevin, had kind of agreed upon. So when we raised uh, some money early, we uh, were strategic about who we went after, and we found a few local guys that were very successful. And uh, one of them, Doug Arena, joined our board. That, that was in 2005 when we raised that, that half million. Who was that? Uh, Doug Arena. He was a Virginia Tech guy and had built a, a bunch of different tech companies over the years. And he was he was very good at um, kind of advising us on the kind of doing deals and how, like how to really structure things when we're out there raising more money and talking to big customers. So he was a great advisor. He still is actually. Um, I, actually, it's funny. We um, just last year we hired him to run our Blacksburg office. Blacksburg, Virginia is where we founded the company, right, right near Virginia Tech. And uh, me and our co-founders are now out in Texas and. Doug now runs our, our Blacksburg office of, of about 100 people. There you go. Yeah, so he's a great guy, a good, good friend, good advisor, and great leader. So, yeah, we, we had him. There were a couple others on our board that were really helpful. Um, but, you know, a lot, of, a lot of what we were doing was still new to, to these guys. These are, you know, for them, a tech company is like tink- tinkering with electronics and, and all that. The Internet was still new to a lot of these guys, so... Pat and I were figuring out a lot as we went and just reading everything we could and obviously picking the brains of the, the Rackspace guys who had already succeeded. Before we go further into the Rackspace history and how that acquisition occurred and all the events that surrounded, I'm kind of curious on about running the business in the 2002 to 2003 timeframe whenever uh, maybe it was even a little sooner than that um, when revenue was really low, like things you had done to to keep employees happy, keep co-founders still interested in your idea or the idea in general? How do you keep people, um, you know, energized and motivated and focused and believing in you and trusting that you know what you're doing, even though revenue was, uh, was pretty low? I think you said it was in the 25,000 mark per year for the first few years. Yeah, that, that's right. It was, um, I'd say it all started with Pat and I, believing in the idea and the vision and, and believing that we're on the right path. Even when we were on the wrong path, we believed it. And that allowed us to really kind of instill that vision and, and communicate that, that uh, direction to the people that were working for us. So um, some of it was Pat and I being a little bit naive on, on what we could pull off in terms of, especially with the initial uh, consumer business model. Um, just, But I, I think the fact that, that we – just knew we were going to succeed no matter what, and uh, were willing to. When we realized we, we were on the wrong path, willing to make quick course corrections, 
Um, but still, every time we did it, we believed this is now the right path. And then a month later, we changed again. Okay, this is now the right path. Every time we did that, we just um, just had had a belief that we were doing the right thing and uh, had a passion to build a, a great business. How do you communi- communicate that to the rest of the team, though? Like you have the belief and you and the co-founders have the belief, but how do you communicate that to the, the employees that are saying, well, you're, you know, I'm getting paid with an IOU or very little money? How do you communicate such – with such passion, you know, belief and changing ideas here and there to, to pivot, as we now know, is a, is a very well-coined phrase. Yeah. Um, so, so in 2001, we, we actually uh, we laid off most of our employees except for two developers. And you, you mentioned IOU. That, that, that's when we, we actually were paying a minimum wage and, and, and then a promise of stock options. So an IOU for stock options because we couldn't afford lawyers at the time. So getting keeping those two guys motivated is was uh, I think it really came down to actually involving them in most aspects of the business, and um, you know in o two and o three as we started hiring more people, we just had a culture where employees always knew what was going on like all the way to the, like the highest level stuff, um, and we go out and. I drink beers with with everyone after work, and still continue talking shop. And you know, some employees would have just really interesting ideas. And then you know, you know, we get we got when we got into the office the next day, we actually acted on those ideas that they had. And just I think having a culture where you're involving your employees in the big decisions of the business and keeping them informed on even some of the little decisions and, and why those decisions were made has really helped. It it kind of made it so that there, nobody was ever surprised when things were heading down a different, a different path. They understood why we, why we were doing it and what the, what the new mission was when that mission changed. So the next, uh, the next piece we're going to talk about really is the, is the merger and the, the, the rack space love this whole, this whole point where they kind of came in you were very good friends with some of the founders from rack space. Um, what was, what was the first moments of this acquisition and this, brand new start for what webmail was emerging into and where rackspace is going in, in terms of your partnership okay so in in 2007 is when the acquisition occurred it was september of 07 and you know the 05 to 07 was really our high growth years we actually changed our name to webmail.us in 2005 or, yeah 2005 okay and um you know by 2007 we I think I mentioned this earlier. We had doubled revenue five years straight. We actually earned uh, number two hundred and seventeen on the on the Inc. Magazine's fastest growing private companies in America. So that was really cool. Uh, it was a big year for us. So at that year, we decided you know we were profitable, but every penny we had went into hiring that next developer as soon as we could, so we could continue to grow. And we had a pretty clear idea that if we raised a couple million bucks, we could accelerate, and we had a, we created a plan for doing so. So we started the year planning on raising that money and accelerating growth because basically just to move faster than we could organically. And um, so we approached the Rackspace co-founder who had invested in 05, and he was very interested in in taking a large chunk of that. And um, something else interesting happened in 2007, and that was uh, Google had launched Gmail a few years prior Obviously, Microsoft has always had Exchange software, but they, that year, those two companies both started making moves in 2007 to start hosting business email. So uh, we, while we were 
kind of kicking everybody else's ass in, in, in terms of the people focused just on email, we saw these big companies on the horizon and that was a little bit scary. So um, we ended up talking to Rackspace about a, a, a different option besides just raising money, uh, an option where we grow our business as part of Rackspace. And the, it was actually the, the product team that resold email that approached us first with the idea when we told them that we were going to go out and raise money. I think they saw it as a time where if we actually raised that money, then the value of webmail.us would go up substantially. So if they ever wanted to buy us, that was probably a good time to do so. So um, we just started batting around the idea, and a lot of the conversation mid-year in 07 was really focused on, okay, if we do this, what is it that these – what is it that webmail.us and Rackspace could do as a combined company that we couldn't do independently? And, um, and part of it was knowing that Google and Microsoft were on our tail, like competing against those big boys with, with, with email. Uh, we, we actually thought we could do that by having a brand the size of Rackspace behind it. And then another thing, too, was uh, up until that time, we were hosting – uh, a, a Linux-based mail product that was very similar to Gmail uh, had StrongPop and IMAP as well, and um, it, it but it didn't have a lot of the like enterprise features that you get with Microsoft Exchange. So part of the vision we created with Rackspace was to make our product much more enterprise-focused to start selling to larger companies. So, so we knew Google and Microsoft would get in and start selling to the, the small businesses, which is where we were dominating. Um, but we put a plan together to start adding enterprise features like shared calendaring and BlackBerry and uh, the full full exchange functionality. And, uh, yeah, we put that plan together. And, and also a huge important part of the plan for Pat and I were, was we were going to continue to operate in a very autonomous way. So it, essentially the deal we ended up putting together was an all-stop deal where, um, you know, we didn't take any cash off, off the table. We we bet, essentially bet that Rackspace was going to be a great company moving forward, even even better than it already was at the time. And we uh, got to operate the mail business very independently, almost as a fully funded startup with that just happened to be owned by a larger company. So that, that was the plan we set out on in, on 07. And um, I think it was a good plan. We actually pulled off most of the things that we planned to do. So you bet the farm on this uh – on this, I guess, uh, you know, I mean, Rackspace at the time was a good company, but you, you bet everything on it. You didn't take any cash out. I mean, how did that – what was going through your mind when you said, yes, I'll do this? This does make sense, like the feeling. I think the, the biggest thing for us was we were nowhere near being ready to exit. We saw a huge growth opportunity in the email business. Like only a small percentage of the world had started outsourcing email. Most people were still hosting it themselves. So we saw a huge opportunity ahead over the next few years to just grab as much of that uh, outsourced mail market as possible. So um, the the thing that was going through our head was how can we most likely succeed at that at, at grabbing that those customers. So um, it actually in our mind we convinced ourselves, and I think we were right, that it, we could grab more of that by teaming up with Rackspace as opposed to staying independent. You said something interesting, though, where you said we're not ready to exit. How do you know you're not ready to exit just because the business wasn't um, – there was more to be had? There was you know, you know, the Googles of the world, the Microsofts of the world coming up as competition. Is that what you mean by not ready to exit? Uh, it was, I think, mainly because we felt we were at the beginning of something, not, not at the end of something. We, we just saw that we, we had a small percentage 
or I think it was like 5% of, of the of businesses in, in the U.S. had outsourced email by that time. So we saw this huge, over the next few years, a, a huge amount of businesses were going to start outsourcing. And so in our minds, we were thinking, okay, we, we've just gotten, gotten started. We've, we know there's the next few years are going to be crazy in terms of growth for anybody in the email business, and we want to be a part of that. So that's kind of what I mean by not being ready to exit. We, we didn't want to miss that opportunity to go build a really large business. And we, we had built, you know, like I said, we, we were an $8 million run rate business, but um, that, that was small relative to our, our grand plans. And speaking of grand plans, you're now at Rackspace. It's completely absorbed. You've been there since uh, since the acquisition with no plans to exit. Um, you got a nice uh, stock deal that uh, that we can't talk about exactly, but um, certainly good for you in the favor in the future. You you bet your you bet everything you were doing on the fact that merging with Rackspace would be a good solution, and also you could probably have a ton of promises in your back pocket as well as stock IOUs and stuff like that. You've got to to keep up with. So exiting was very very difficult you had to kind of stick stick with it yeah so we yeah we, we had uh followed up on all those early ious on stock options to our early employees and had granted stock options to most of our other employees as they came on board leading up to that so uh, we yeah we rackspace in, in 07 was a private company just like we were so um we were essentially betting that they would become a, a, a big publicly traded company one day and that's it's pretty much what happened. Yeah, we, we, it was it was really cool. And the next year after the acquisition, we got to see the whole IPO process from the inside. So just watching them prep for all that and um, uh, seeing seeing all the people we knew on the on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange when they IPO. It was just a really really neat experience for for us and for our employees. Imagine that, right? You start a business in '99, and I guess around almost ten years later. You're part of a, a a little bit bigger of a company, a much bigger company, and you're entering an IPO. That's that's just amazing. Yeah, it was a fun ride, and it's still fun to this day. We spent the the next three years after that acquisition growing the mail business, and uh, it grew it to 300 employees. 100 of them are, are still there by Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, we, we actually acquired a company. We, we bought Jungle Disk, which is a like a file sharing. Mm-hmm, I remember uh, that. Startup. And so we bought them, integrated them into our group. Uh, we also launched a SharePoint offering. So we essentially converted our business into, rather than just email, it's email and applications. So it's a software as a service aspect of, of Rackspace. Um, and then in the past year, the uh, the three of us, the, the original founders of, of webmail.us, moved into the cloud business at Rackspace. So Pat actually now runs the Rackspace cloud. He's, he's the main guy. And Kevin, he runs software development for the cloud. And then I, I do partnerships and M&A for the cloud business. And not only that, but everyone that was in the uh, the basement of the, the townhouse that we were working out of in the early days, they're all still at Rackspace, which is pretty amazing, three and a half years after we sold the company. What I'm thinking of is, is um, you know, we, we're telling this story as if um, – you know, you got this great gift from Rackspace in terms of being able to merge with them and and move on. But it sounds like you've had a huge impact into their business and changed a lot of what they're doing. I mean, especially with this all this cloud talk and what's going on today with software as a service and uh, platform as a service and all these different scenarios that are happening in this 
cloud thing that the people keep talking about this. I think it's funny when I see the Microsoft commercials about the cloud. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Everybody yeah. has this, uh, you know, this own blend of what it is, but it's just, it's just kind of wild. But what, how do you feel about what you've been able to do? How did that actually impact Rackspace as it is today? So I, I feel like the, the first three years after the acquisition, we, we actually executed on what we wanted to do with webmail.us and that was grow it into a really large business. And now, now that we're all focused on the broader cloud business of Rackspace, it feels again like how email felt in 07. We're at the beginning of something that's going to be really, really big, and the next few years are going to be wild and exciting and high growth. That's that's how I feel about it. You know, it's hard hard to say what's going to happen out there and what how much Rackspace will be a part of what's going to happen. But all signs are that the cloud is something big and not going away anytime soon. So it, it kind of today feels like it did in 07, like we're at the beginning of something. When you say you're focusing on the cloud, what is what exactly is focusing on the cloud? So cloud at Rackspace is, the, the, the best way I've been able to describe it is it's taking the things that people have done for years in a very manual and dedicated way, such as setting up servers and databases, load balancers, firewalls, is taking all that and automating it and making it available on demand. So essentially push a few buttons and you've got a server and a load balancer and you're being billed hourly. And it, uh, compare that to uh, a few years ago and the way we built webmail.us, we had to really think about how we we're going to architect our system well in advance and then place an order, pay a large setup fee, wait a week, sometimes two weeks to get our servers. And, and you know, at that point, if we made a mistake on that architecture, you know, we're waiting another couple of weeks for this for a different type of server to be spun up or, or whatever. So it's a very different world today. Cloud is essentially taking all that stuff we used to do and automating it. And you can be a lot more agile with your architecture. Um, and essentially a cloud business, most of our software development is focused on taking all those common things people do and just automating it and making it dead simple and having all sorts of analytics behind the scenes for billing and for helping customers understand what's happening in the environment to make better decisions. As I understand that you're uh, coming up soon this next week, you're headed out of, out of town on a trip on Geeks on a Plane. This uh, trip is actually going down to South America, right? Yeah, that's right. We're going to Brazil and, and Chile, and uh, the group's going to head on to Argentina at the end of the trip, but I have to head back for a wedding. But I'm going to be there for most of it. It should be a good time. We're, we're essentially... It's about 50 of us, and we're, we're meeting with the people down in those countries that are trying to create a Silicon Valley-like startup environment. So some of them are government officials. Some of it's uh, people running incubators. Uh, we're meeting with a lot of startup founders, essentially sharing things that we've learned in the U.S. about, about building uh, Internet startups. You, know, you obviously had a pretty tremendous trip. It's been over, I guess, over 11 years, almost 12 years now, this entire trip of yours from starting, um, you know, what was called fieldparty.com to all these different pivots, a dot-com bubble burst. You've been through a lot of various turbulent internet times. What kind of advice can you give to um, newer entrepreneurs or newer people coming to the internet today? Um, what kind of advice can you give them, you know, glazing back of your past about starting a company, growing it, and maybe even getting acquired by, you know, somebody like Rackspace to to take it to the next level and continue on that journey? Uh, I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, and I, I invest in some of them and advise some uh, pretty actively. And the, the biggest thing that I advise people on is just to act on your ideas and act on them quickly, and, and don't be afraid of being wrong. It's, it's better to 
to do something and be wrong than to not do something and never know if you were right or wrong. So I see so many people with good ideas. They're just sitting on those ideas and um, may never do anything with them. And, um, you know, I, I think if, if you, if you want to grow a business, you're going to have to just be able to make quick decisions and be okay being wrong like 75% of the time and just quickly know when you're wrong and, and change direction. That's the, the nice thing about where we are today with technology is, it's very cheap to be wrong. Back in back when we started, like you have to you have to go and buy all this infrastructure and and hire system administrators, uh, hire a marketing team. Today you don't need to do any of that. You can use the cloud to, to build out your system. You can automate all the things sysadmins do or most of the things. You can do your marketing on, on you know, Apple's App Store or, or using Google Pay per Click, and it's just very very cheap to start a business. So it's that actually means it's cheap to fail. So I would encourage entrepreneurs to fail often and realize uh, that they failed and course correct until they find that thing that's going to work. Well, Bill, I, th- I certainly thank you for coming on the show. I know that uh, some of those words you just said there gave me chills because um, I think a lot of people, they do have these great ideas and we, we hear this term, you know, ideas are shit, ex- execution is everything. And I think it's a matter of um, just believing in yourself, you know, like you said, and you know, some of the words you said actually gave me chills because that's like, wow, you're you're so right. <laughs> well, thanks. It's it's fun talking about this stuff. It was a, a fun ride, and you know, I think the next few years will be pretty interesting too. So, if people want to catch up with you, what uh, where do you hang out at? You have a website, you have a Twitter. Where do you where do you hang out on the internet? So, if you go to billbabel.com, uh, all my info is right there. You can find find me on Twitter and everywhere else. Bill, thanks again for everything. Thanks for your contributions, and thanks for even going to, um, you know, down to South America and sharing your knowledge. I know it's such a blessing to be able to to have had the the opportunities you've had and the success you've had, and even the fails that you've had, and to share that wisdom with others. So I really appreciate your time, and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me.